You're listening to Exploring Boys Education, a monthly podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition, in which we delve into contemporary topics impacting boys, their educators, and boys' schools. I'm your host, Bruce Collins. This episode explores how boys' schools might think about supporting gender-diverse students and will highlight the importance of this work for all students, address common misconceptions, provide best practices for inclusive environments, while emphasizing the impact of policies that support gender-diverse students. This conversation offers valuable guidance for educators and school leaders in boys' schools to create a more inclusive educational landscape. My guest for this episode is Ethan Levine, a sociologist and anti-violence advocate with a focus on sexual violence, intimate partner violence and social inequality. He is an award-winning speaker on interpersonal violence and LGBTQ plus communities and the author of Rape by the Numbers, producing and contesting scientific research about sexual violence. With over a decade of experience advocating for survivors, Levine combines research and personal experience to provide support and education for survivors of all genders and sexualities. Before I speak with Ethan, however, I'm pleased to share the mic with Tom Batty again for the IBSC Newsreel. Thank you, Bruce, and a very warm welcome to all. As, whether listening out on a jog, over a coffee at the desk, or amidst traffic behind the wheel, we bring you the sixth episode in this, the fourth season of Exploring Boys Education. Whilst always good to catch up across the ether, recent regional gatherings have reminded that being together in person creates a special environment for sharing ideas and advancing practice, not to mention making new friends. Conversation went late into the night in Nashville as Post-Super Bowl, Montgomery Bell Academy hosted author and Brookings Institution scholar Richard Reeves to speak on solving the crisis of boys and men. And later in February, up on the hill at Harrow School in the UK, a vibrant UK regional IBSC conference was full of laughter and the lively chatter of mixed accents, dialects and languages, discussing how learning relationships influence well-being and boys' views of masculinity. The compass turned south in March as 130 delegates gathered amidst the warm hospitality of Grey High School in the stunning town of Quiberka for the annual IBSC South Africa Regional Conference. An outstanding Back to the Future programme provided focus for exciting discussion from committed educators steeped in the very best principles and practices of our profession. It was a privilege to share thoughts and learn in such company. Back on air, earlier this month, based on extensive experience and work with schools, Katie Kursner, Ethan Levine, Nick Robertson and Antoine Ramon facilitated two IVSC online sessions focusing on gender diversity and inclusion in boys' schools. Over 80 IBSC educators from more than 35 member schools participated, making clear the importance of this programme. And we are most grateful to the Campus Outreach Services team for facilitating this opportunity for greater understanding and learning. Later in this episode, Bruce speaks with one of the presenters, Ethan Levine, 
about supporting gender diverse students in boys' schools. Ethan's background and experience in sociology, anti-violence work and support of the LGBTQIA plus and gender minority communities will provide a solid foundation on which to build a deeper understanding of this important conversation. Before I hand back to Bruce, I'd like to highlight the IBSC Belonging Boys School series programmes scheduled for the coming weeks. On March the 28th and 30th, expert presenter Lovelyn Noir-Dei leads us in a two-part interactive online programme focused on understanding the intersection of race and gender in boys' schools. Noir-Dei's sessions will concentrate on the foundational concepts of racial and gender literacy and debunking myths about masculinity and racialization. On the 3rd of May and the 10th of May, Executive Principal of Bella Vista School in South Africa, Alison Scott, leads a conversation on creating inclusive spaces for boys with barriers to learning. An educator and specialist practitioner with more than 33 years experience, Alison will present a recovery curriculum to address the effects of COVID-19 on school communities, highlighting true grit with particular emphasis on what it takes for a boy with barriers to learning to get through school. Both these Belonging in Boys Schools offerings consist of two scheduled 90-minute interactive Zoom sessions of expert input, real-life case studies, and breakout conversations assisted by facilitators from IBSC member schools. More information about these offerings and others can be found by clicking on the professional development menu on the IBSC website. I look forward to seeing you over the weeks to come, whether in person or on screen. And before I hand back to Bruce, I offer my sincere thanks to Ethan Levine for his openness in sharing about the support of transgender and gender non-conforming people at all boys institutions. Ethan, as Tom has just mentioned, um, you were part of a group of people with Katie Kessner mm -hmm. and uh, others who uh, presented on a recent program around the question of gender diversity in boys' schools. And that was such a fantastic program. And I think the 80 folk who were on that program just really enjoyed hearing from you and others. And so it's a real privilege to invite you back to have this conversation with me on this episode. So thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be in that space with so many folks from IBSC. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation too. Great. So Ethan, let's start with this. Before we get into any particular questions about supporting gender diverse students in boys' schools, which is what this episode is essentially about, I'd love to hear why this work is essential and important to you. You know, what motivates your support and advocacy for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and other sexual and gender minority communities? Absolutely. So like many people who do work in this space, my entry was personal. Right? So I am a queer and transgender person myself. Part of why I was so excited to speak with the IBSC folks was that I grew up in 
a school system that was not necessarily safe or supportive. You know, I had a very small number of friends, I think no teachers uh, to whom I was out when I was a child. I've had incredibly mixed experiences in my family and in my adult life. And so I, I should also uh, share for some context. I started being open about being a queer person when I was about 15 in a small way. And I came to understand that I was trans and start living as Ethan when I was 19. And early on in that time, my experiences ran the gamut from overwhelming support and love and kindness to outright rejection and discrimination. And I'll I'll just give you two quick examples that really launched me into this work. So the the happy example um, at the time, I I had two side gigs in, in addition to being a college student. I was working as an organic chemistry tutor through our library, um, and I also was a quasi-volunteer, quasi-staff person at a rape crisis center in the city where I lived. The tutoring center was amazing. When I came out to my supervisor, she immediately worked out a way to get me a new email address that used the name Ethan. Like there were no name change policies at this time. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I was, I, not to, I was a fairly popular organic chemistry tutor. Also, everyone goes for organic chemistry tutoring. It was a tutoring. It was a popular <laughs> subject. And the tutoring center kind of navigated that for me. So people would request me under my old name and staff at the tutoring center would say, you can work with the same person, but his name is now Ethan. His pronouns are he, him. If you're comfortable with that, I'm happy to assign you back to him. And just better than I could ever have hoped for. The Rape Crisis Center, when I disclosed that I was transgender, fired me for that reason. And so having those experiences in institutions and such mixed experiences before really alerted me to the fact that there were already good models for trans inclusion, but we also had just massive systemic discrimination. And uh, that was my entryway into this work. We're, we're, as I said before, we're grateful for this conversation. So I'm wondering this, as we think about this work, supporting trans and gender diverse students in boys' schools, why why, in your mind, should this work be equally as vital for educators and school administrators as it is for someone like you and other advocates? Yes, I love this question. So this is an essential issue, and I think it's a kind of issue that administrators and educators at these schools are already thinking about, even if not always explicitly with a trans flavor. So students will thrive when they can show up as their authentic selves. Right? You know, if students are able to attend your schools and be who they are, that will make them better able to connect with each other, better able to connect with employees. And also, there's plenty of evidence at this point that students who are able to feel comfortable and authentic will also just do better, right? They'll perform better in your courses. They'll be able to explore their own interests. Uh, you know, experiencing discrimination, feeling unsafe to be who you are, really affects social and educational outcomes. And I would say that the same thing is also true for uh, staff at schools. So I had such a wonderful time in those two sessions with IBSC folks. Something I wish we had had a little bit more time to talk about, though, was the employee side of things, right? So that employees at boys' schools can be people of all genders, and you also want to make sure that your employees are safe and comfortable and able to be authentic for their own wellness and I also, um, I don't know what your experience has been. In my experiences working with youth, 
I feel like they can sniff out inauthenticity <laughs> at 10 miles. <laughs> Absolutely. <Right. laughs> My yeah. experience is exactly the same. Right. So, you know, you need an environment where people can be who they are in a way that's comfortable uh, for any student employee engagement to be effective. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's obvious that it's important for boys schools to support gender diverse students. And it's something we'll focus on later in this interview. But as we were preparing for this conversation, you highlighted something very important, Ethan, Mm -hmm. that I hadn't thought of asking you. But this work is just as important for cisgender students, teachers, administrators um, in boys' schools as it is for those who are gender non-conforming, non-binary or trans. So there are two reasons why I would say that these conversations are as important for cis folks. And cis for people who might be a little unfamiliar with these conversations. So cis refers to people who are not transgender, right? So who identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, right? So one reason is that even if you are not yourself trans, you know, everyone faces pressure and constraints from gender norms, Right. And that was something that several IBSC staff shared, uh, you know, really great examples of in those sessions. Right. So, you know, in a setting where you have, say, uniforms, right, that those uniforms are going to feel like a good fit for some students. And some students, even cisgender boys, will feel like that just does not fit who they are and will really struggle in that setting. Right. There might be behavioral expectations or expectations about what sports, if any, you play, what career interests you have, all of us face that pressure. And so creating spaces that are inclusive for trans and non-binary, gender non-conforming folks mean creating spaces where none of us face that level of pressure, right, around gender norms, right? So that is something that serves everyone well. And the other thing is that All of your students, all of your employees are going to interact with people who are trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, right? So you're preparing your students uh, for larger human society, and that means they will encounter folks across the spectrum, and you want them to be able to interact in a way that is respectful and compassionate. Yeah, absolutely. I know from speaking to a number in the boys' schools community, and we we have a whole spectrum of of how schools are, are are facing the conversations around gender non-conforming students, around trans students, um, how they're looking at policy, and uh, our schools are in very different places. So I'm wondering, just from your perspective, what challenges might boys' schools face in supporting gender-diverse students? So I appreciate you bringing up the fact that schools are in so many different places. I think that that is... Honestly, in some ways, it's an asset and also a huge challenge in the system, right? Because there being so many in such a range means that folks can learn from each other. Folks who are earlier in the process can learn from folks who are farther along. It also forces us to recognize that contexts are different, right? So, you know, you have some schools in the system that are Catholic schools and some that are not, right? That's a factor that came up a lot. Um, I think yeah, I think the best way to describe this tension is actually something that one of the uh, IBSC employees said in a breakout session that I attended. Um, I'm not going to name anyone because I did not ask anyone's permission to quote them today, but I will. I'm, I'm hoping to reference a lot of uh, the amazing insights that folks offered during those sessions. So, very first one, someone shared. 
these two principles that guide a lot of their work at a boys' school, which is a commitment to the students and a commitment to being a boys' school. And most of the time, those commitments are aligned. And I also just want to say the commitment to the students shown through at every moment. It, like I have rarely been in such an incredibly supportive, just empathetic, caring space as I was in those two sessions. Like that was just, it was such a pleasure to be among all of them. Um, but, you know, there are going to be times when holding those two commitments together is a real challenge. So I think just acknowledging that on its own is a real challenge, right? The idea that those two commitments might ever feel in conflict is a hard thing to wrap your head around. And I think some schools are probably just there, right? At trying to think about, you know, what does it mean for these to be in tension? And then uh, that raises more fundamental questions about who these schools are for, you know, and what the aim, uh, you know, kind of what the reason to have a boys' school in the first place is, right? And so just feeling ready to grapple with those fundamental questions is kind of your first level of challenge before you get into more logistical things like, what does this mean for our admissions policy? You know, if in terms of students applying who are already openly trans, what does this mean for retention of students whose gender identity either changes or who alert us to a gender identity they already had and, and you know, kind of broader facilities issues. But yeah, those, those foundational questions, I think, are the biggest challenges in some yeah. ways. I, I think that you know, one big challenge that I yeah, probably should have mentioned is right, if folks haven't had space to have these conversations in advance, engaging around gender diversity in a reactive way is just very difficult. You know, it's it has to be very case by case. It often feels rushed, right? If a student, right, let's use that kind of example. And I heard several stories like this from IBSC folks in those sessions. If a student who has been in a school for, you know, more a system for more than 10 years, their very last year reveals that now this person, you know, having lived as maybe even identified as a boy for most of their life, that she's now identifying as a girl. What do we do with that person, right? This person feels safe enough to share. This person is a part of the community. Everyone knows her. What do we do? And, you know, I think that there is, there's not one answer to that question, right? I, and I, I hope that no one listening is waiting for me to give the single silver bullet, here's how you solve those problems, because I, I'm so sorry, I don't have those. <laughs> but there's, there's so much to consider, right? So there is the, you know, this, this person is a part of our community, we want her to feel safe and welcome. On the other hand, it's possible that a boy's environment isn't a good fit for her anymore. Right. And and that's something we need to think about. And then another challenge that a different person in uh, my breakout group shared that I thought was so insightful and so difficult was, you know, let's say our impulse is to let our students remain. Right. You know, we have people who are part of this community. They feel safe here. We want to honor that. We want to keep supporting them. And so if students who initially applied as boys turn out to be girls, we don't want to turn them away. Well, what does that mean for cisgender girls in our community? You know, if that means we're now allowing transgender girls to stay here, you know, one person shared that their school was one of the most kind of academically, you know, impressive, advanced sound in their region. I think that's probably true for a number of schools in this network, right? The resources, the programming, and that there were plenty of cisgender girls in the local area who wanted in. And, and couldn't be a part of that community because they were girls. So if that's true, 
what message are we sending, right? If we allow, right? And so just, it's, there's so many factors to consider. You know, you said you don't have any silver bullets, but I wonder if there <laughs> are some best practices or good practices that you can share with us for providing safe and inclusive environments for children in boys' schools who are either questioning their gender or non-binary or trans or gender diverse in, in some other way. You know, right from kindergarten through to high school, what are some of those those principles that can uphold um, the safety and inclusivity we want to provide? That I can do, yes. <laughs> As I should say, I don't have silver bullets on admission and retention decisions or kind of facility policies. But yes, and I love, Bruce, that you said kindergarten straight through the end of secondary school, because that would have been my first uh, suggestion is, right, start right away in kindergarten. Um, so there has fortunately been tremendous progress in this area. There are a lot of great uh, free resources on building inclusive curricula. There are a lot of books to share. Uh, so a lot of that work has been done and it's a matter of incorporating that. Um, but I would just for a few examples, you know, that in kindergarten, primary school, there's going to be a lot of, of reading, a lot of teaching reading, right? And reading to students. And Inclusion in what we read goes a long way, right? And, you know, today we're focusing specifically on gender diversity, but thinking about all the forms of representation that you cover in there, right? Uh, So thinking about, you know, for example, right, so disability representation, multiracial representation, having characters who are themselves trans or non-binary and are kids, there are amazing books out there written for young children, written for secondary school children as well. And so being proactive in that way really makes a huge difference, right? Um, Similarly, yeah, there are a lot of ways that in various um, school programming or different classes that the school can do the work of building an inclusive, safe environment. So math uh, is often my go-to example because I think that's an area where people feel like you can't, right? You know, because it's numbers, but you can. Um, so I, I was a statistics teacher for a number of years before I, I took my current position. And I constantly wrote practice questions and exam questions with people, you know? So Bruce has 15 podcast episodes to record in the spring semester. How, how should he space them out over the weeks, right? You know, that sort of thing. So when you write those questions, having some fake characters who use they, them pronouns, just as one very easy example, right? And what that does is to create an environment in which trans students, questioning students, and cisgender students know this is an environment that understands that people of multiple genders exist. This is a place where it's safe to have those conversations. Uh, because I think that one of the biggest barriers for gender diverse students is isolation, right? You know, is feeling like if you come forward with questioning or you come forward with an identity that you already know that you have but you're the first person to raise that conversation, you have no idea what you're walking into. You know? and, and this would make sure that that's not the case. When we start getting into the complexities of mission and vision, you know, that schools communicate beyond their borders, you know, how can, how can boys' schools think about their vision and their mission and the statements that support their mission and vision? 
Um, how can they make sure that those are inclusive of all students, regardless of their gender identity or expression? So we are definitely back in the realm where I do not have a silver bullet answer for you. <laughs> so, but with bearing that in mind, yeah, so... This is something that I imagine will vary school to school, depending on where you are uh, in the process. And also your answer to some of those fundamental questions, like, why are we a boys school? What are we hoping to do with this? Right. Because, you know, the you want the mission and vision vision, vision <laughs> to be welcoming and affirming, but also a true reflection of, of what that school is. Um, if boys schools are focused on, you know, developing generations of responsible, capable men, then perhaps anyone who identifies as a boy and will grow into being a man belongs at a boys' school, right? If boys' schools are for, for students who experience the socialization, the pressures of living as a boy, then maybe birth assignment is more important, right? You know, this, this might vary, you know, and, and maybe there's not consensus on what that looks like. So, I think clarity on who are we here for is, is going to be really the first step there. But something that all schools can do, I think, in their mission and vision is, is getting at that piece of recognizing that their students are going to grow up to interact with broader societies. I mean, they're doing it now, right? No one only exists at home and at school. And so thinking about, right, thinking about raising, kind of supporting students to engage in a compassionate, just way with diverse communities, right? And, and that can be where you see that piece, even if a school is not sure about necessarily the admissions or, you know, do trans and non-binary students get to stay here? So I think leading on from that question, I've, I've realized over time how important language is and how affirming language can be. And we You mentioned some examples of this a little bit earlier in our conversation, but I think a lot of schools are thinking about this. How can they ensure that their use of language, including pronouns and gender terminology, supports gender inclusivity and cultural diversity in the classroom and beyond? Yes, great question. And that's a question that I think everyone, including people immersed in, you know, trans rights and liberation struggles with all the time. So for what I just want to own, if you feel like you don't have all of that figured out yet, you're an outstanding company. <laughs> but so what I would think about in terms of inclusive language, there are a few things. One is being really mindful of when we're using gender specific language and why. And there will be times when there is absolutely a reason to do that. Um, one example that came up in the sessions uh, that I co-facilitated was, you know, referring to a group of students as as gentlemen, right? And and there's a part of me that just has a very warm and fuzzy reaction to that as well. There's something just very charming about referring to, you know, let's say a group of twelve year olds as gentlemen. Like I love that, um, but, right? But you know, you might have students who are questioning themselves. Uh, you know, you, you might be a school that is potentially opening up. And so there are, you know, there might be reasons to at least have some alternative words in your toolkit, right? Um, such as everyone, folks. So, you know, if you are working in a school in which the policy is everyone here must identify as a boy no matter what, then maybe gentleman is appropriate, right? So similarly in student handbooks, in examples, in courses, language during assemblies and class activities, I would say, you know, I don't think we need to avoid gender specific language altogether, but when we're using it, we should know why, right? And 
another thing that can sometimes be really valuable um, if a school is in a place where this makes sense and if individual employees are in a place where this makes sense is for those folks, is for employees to introduce themselves using pronouns. So I recognize that this is going to vary depending on where you are. I have literally been fired because of being transgender before, so I know this is not safe for everyone. But if you are able to say, you know, as a new, you know, if you're introducing yourself to a new group of students or, you know, running an event, you know, my name is Ethan, my pronouns are he, him, and just move forwards from there. That will model a behavior that helps create a safer world for people of all genders. Do you think that's an important thing for cisgender folk like me to to be to be doing? Is there a is there a power in the solidarity um, or, or being an ally? Yes, absolutely. I love when cisgender people do that. It helps to normalize the practice you know, for one thing, and uh, definitely creates a safer environment for trans folks to do that. You know, so if you have, and and I think when this happens, it's usually well-meaning, but, you know, I've been in some spaces in which folks will only share their pronouns if they know there's a visible trans person in the room. And what that means is that this then becomes a kind of special practice and an accommodation you know, for that one trans person. Instead of something that happens naturally. Yes, exactly, exactly, right. Um, And it is also, you know, the case that in all of our lives, students, employees, and people unconnected to IBSC, you know, we are going to encounter people whose gendered pronouns might not be what we expect. And so I think it is also a good reminder, right, that, you know, if I introduce myself with pronouns or if you introduce yourself with pronouns might actually be a better example, Bruce. That also serves as a reminder to folks that I know Bruce's pronouns are he, him, because Bruce told me, not because of how Bruce looks or sounds. And that goes a huge way in making a safer world for trans and non-binary people. So coming back to the students, and I know I want to be mindful of the fact that we we do have faculty in our schools who also are gender diverse, but for the for the specific focus of this episode, I, I want to come back to the students. Um, what, and maybe you can speak from experience in this question, but what are some of the common misconceptions or, or stereotypes about gender diverse students that, that come up in school spaces? And how can administrators, teachers, leaders in boys' schools challenge these misconceptions and promote understanding and acceptance? Thank you for that question. And, you know, I, this is a question that I have been, that certainly, you know, affected my own life when I was a student and I have been thinking about a lot. Um, So on one level, I think the the stereotypes about transgender people overall are going to apply to students as well, right? So this is something that is going to depend on the cultural context that someone's in, both kind of the individual school, is this a faith-based or not faith-based school, the kind of, you know, nation and where within a nation someone is. I... Um, so I live within the United States. So... I will use the U.S. as an example. Um, We are in a moment right now in which there 
is essentially a, a, a national campaign against our community, right? You know, we are, uh, for folks unfamiliar with this context, right? So we have seen more than 400 bills introduced in 2023 so far. We're speaking in mid-March, right? Um, yes, um, targeting gender-affirming care for youth, gender-affirming care for adults, uh, access to sports for trans folks, um, bans on quote-unquote male and female impersonation, often undefined, uh, ban efforts to essentially being a trans person in public space, and threats to trans folks' ability to have children. Like just a tremendous range of that. And oftentimes the logic justifying those bills, and there, there is no evidence for they, these. These are harmful misperceptions, right? But, but the argu the arguments that you hear are uh, stereotype trans people as predatory, um, oftentimes as sexually predatory, and we're also right now contending with this this argument. And again, there, there is no evidence for it, but it's had a lot of power in public debates. This idea that transgender adults are attempting to harm and kind of convert youth uh, in, into being. We, we saw similar stereotyping of lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer folks decades ago. So the way that might show up in a school, right? Uh, trans and non-binary students might be perceived as predators themselves, right? As harmful people. So you might have, let's say there are children in that school or parents of children in that school who buy into that way of thinking, they might now be afraid of that child, right? They might now act out against that child. Alternatively, or sometimes simultaneously, trans and non-binary gender diverse children might be perceived as, you know, kind of victims of trans adults, right? In a way that is deeply invalidating of who they are, kind of harmful in a different way, right? So, um, and th those are in the American context, but really the prevailing attitudes about trans folks, of course, filter into our schools. So it's a tough question for me to even think about right now um, because of what is going on where I live. But what I love about your question is that I... Um, in there, I see this, this recognition that schools can be sites of safety, right? Schools can be havens against that. And so I think some of what we spoke about before in terms of just building a more inclusive space can do that on their own. And another thing that I think is really valuable, um, you know, so I mentioned before that being a gender diverse student can be really isolating, Part of that is this issue of raising the conversation first, but, you know, something that I've known a lot of youth and adults to struggle with, something I've personally struggled with is if I'm experiencing harm and I have someone I could go to, can I trust that person to hear me, right? Can I trust that person to be on my team or will that person be on my harasser's team, right? Will, my, will that person agree with my having been fired or bullied or what have you. And so I think building, you know, inclusive curriculum, even practices like sharing pronouns, those help indicate to a student that, you know, if someone bullies or harms me in this way and I go to a teacher or I go to my principal, I'll be heard. Yeah. 
This next question, I think, is, is, is connected to that because I think this is an important thing for schools also to think about. Um, how can schools help address the unique health and wellness needs of gender diverse students, including access to gender affirming health care and questions about supporting their mental health? Mm -hmm. Yes, such important questions. Also so dependent on your cultural and kind of geographic context. Absolutely. So again, right, thinking about schools as sites that can be, you know, safe spaces and, and buffering against kind of more harmful environments outside of that. I love that you specifically mentioned, you know, gender affirming care and mental health. So some of that will be yeah, just constrained by the school's own resources and the school's geographic context to be perhaps a bit lazy and use the United States again as an example. So if a school is in a state that has banned gender affirming care for minors, that's going to put you in a different circumstance than if you're in a school that allows access to gender affirming care for minors. Uh, but that actually gives us our first answer, which is learn the local context, right? Um, that, you know, wherever you are, you know, and, and there are probably organizations, maybe journalists who are already keeping track of this. Like this is never something you'll have to do by yourself, but kind of figure out where to learn, what resources are available kind of locally, nationally, internationally. Uh, because if someone is supporting a student who is questioning their gender or who has already determined that they're trans or non-binary, we want to give that person accurate information, right? So like, I would be wary of saying, this is great. Let's link you up with a gender affirming resource and then find out that we can't do that where we are. So, so being, you know, lear learning that up front. But you probably already have resources, right? For students who need to talk to someone, you probably have a sense of what you can and can't offer on site. And so making sure that competency around gender identity is part of that, right? So if you've got school social workers or guidance counselors, making sure that those folks either already feel comfortable and able to support gender identity questions or have ways to learn that, right? And, you know, I think that having access to, uh, you know, free resources that are not bound to a region. Uh, so uh, GLSEN, G-L-S-E-N, um, is one great example for, for uh, teachers and administrators to use. Um, I, I think in our last session, one of my fellow trainers gave the Trevor Project as an example as well, which is an international uh, program that provides online chat, phone chat, and, and voice counseling for free for folks 25 and under. Right? So having resources to refer, out, to refer out that don't rely on, you know, local legislation is also really helpful. What strikes me about everything you, you shared, and I, I really appreciate the wisdom of understanding context, but I also think the other thing that came through from what you said is if we're intentional mm -hmm. about this work, yes. then we'll be able to offer the kind of support that, that students need, mm -hmm. and that is contextually appropriate as well. I have loved this conversation with you, and I have I have one more question. All right, I, fantastic. I, I wish you could. I wish you could carry on speaking the whole day. But um, what might the impact be of boys' schools who do embrace policies and practices that support and affirm the lived experience of gender diverse students? Mm. I mean, huge is the short answer. <laughs> I, 
I, and again, I, I just, I'm still so overwhelmed and grateful by all of my experiences with IBSC so far. Um, so I think that, you know, so for students who are gender diverse, right, who are questioning who they are, um, and, and for transgender boys, right, so that would be folks who are assigned female at birth and identify as boys, recognition of who they are, the opportunity to show up in a space that feels like it should be for them in an authentic way. Like it's, I, I, as a stats person, I cannot quantify that for you. You know, that that's just such an incredible, incredible thing to be. And I think even for students who might start out as a boys school and then share that they identify as girls and not necessarily remain in those spaces, or if they do, right. Having, having room to really recognize your students as, you know, full authentic human beings who are figuring out who they are is, is incredible. Um, I imagine that there will probably always be single gender spaces in most of our communities, right? And so finding, oh, you know, and so in, in some ways, boys schools and girls schools too can really model what it looks like to do that in a way that recognizes that binary categories like boy and girl just don't map onto the complexity of human beings. And so that's really huge. And then the other thing is that, again, you know, we are all preparing youth, those of us who work with youth in any capacity, to exist in broader communities. And I'm just, imagine the impact that your students will have, even your cisgender students will have, if they graduate ready to fully embrace the gender diversity of the worlds that they live in, right? And what kind of an impact they might have in building safer and inclusive spaces wherever they go. I just think yeah. that'll be huge. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to end on that note. Ethan, you're, you are such an engaging and passionate person and it's been wonderful to hear you share and you've, you've shared some, some personal things and some deep things and you've shared great insights and I want to thank you for that, for, for spending time with us and, and for giving us some insights into what this work might look like for schools who are thinking about and wrestling through how they move forward in this space. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you today. And I do hope that this uh, resonates with folks and is useful for them. As we conclude this episode, let's remember that fostering inclusivity and understanding in boys' schools is a collective effort. By embracing the diverse experiences of all students, we can create a more compassionate and supportive educational environment. Let us continue to challenge misconceptions, promote open dialogue, and work together to build a more inclusive future where every student has the opportunity to thrive, regardless of their gender identity or expression. Until our next episode, keep on championing boys' education. <laughs>